Hi, this is Yitz Greenberg. I'm about to read you my Dvar Torah for Parshat Lech Lecha. The theme is covenantal pluralism. In Parshat Noach, the Torah revealed a dramatically transformative understanding of the interaction between the divine and the human. In the previous understanding, God, operating as a universal unlimited force, which is actually called Elohim in the Torah, appeared to humans as a ruler, instructing them to live good lives and repair the world, that is Tikkun Olam. But these commandments were enforced by harsh, sometimes overwhelming punishments. In the new understanding, God, now called by the name Yudke Vavke Adonai in Torah, self-limits out of love, renouncing coercive tactics such as future floods. God establishes objective natural processes and laws to govern reality. Out of respect for human dignity and desire that human beings become responsible moral agents, God engages with humans in partnership, breed, so they will act morally and repair the world out of free will. In the Noahide Covenant, in recognition of human nature and habits, God reduces, as it were, expectations. For example, allows meat while compromising that humans act in the best possible way rather than the ideal level, such as vegetarianism, as was found in the Garden of Eden. In Parshat Lech Lecha, the next divine step toward accommodating human nature and human emotions is revealed. Human beings, after all, are more energized and cling more light-tightly to a covenant that is more intimate, more related to them and to their distinctive memories and experiences. On the foundation of the universal Noahide covenant, God enters into one particular covenant with one family, Abraham and Sarah. This sets up a paradigm of multiple partnerships, which is realized in the future. Each has distinctive practices, models, and emotional associations, but they all have the same goal of overall tikkun olam. Some commentators believe that the motivation for this development of a particular covenant is the post-deluge experiences. See on this Genesis chapter 11. Humankind grows into multiple families and nations. However, one unitary covenant turns into a centralizing force. It allows those who wield authority to concentrate power in one government and one focused project. The government turns unified control into a tyrannical, overwhelming mobilization to build the gigantic Tower of Babel. The purpose either to storm heaven or possibly to dominate the landscape so as to monitor and bring all the families under one controlling center. The Midrashic imagination portrays the Tower project as pure totalitarianism, constricting everybody to labor, imposing exaggerated quotas for construction, and punishing mercilessly failure to meet the requirements. Now, the only way to stop totalitarianism is to break up humankind into multiple units, independent in language and practices from each other. Pluralism 
whether it be political, economic, cultural, or religious, is the best prophylactic against dictatorial centralization. So God proceeds to do that culturally, but no less important also by entering into covenant with multiple communities. So the first pluralist partnership is a particular distinctive covenant with Abraham. Now covenant is a relationship based on committed love. The beauty of this revelation is that God can enter into relationship with more than one community. Were the central revelation of Torah a truth, then it would be difficult for more than one community to wield that single truth in distinctive and different ways. The possessors of the truth would easily turn to war on those who modify or change it in any way that differs from them. Even with multiple covenants in actual history, the individual communities have tended to claim monopoly and act to suppress any variant communities. Now, there are other more positive reasons for the divine turn to covenantal pluralism. For one, by breaking up the project of world repair into smaller operating units, the improvement projects are reduced to a human scale. People can handle such undertakings more easily and without being overwhelmed by the vastness of the task. This minimizes the risk of descent into tyranny, which modern revolutions have been prone to. You can see under Nazism, Communism, Maoism, Khmer Rouge. They are driven to draconian tactics by the sheer scope of the problems and the magnitude of the changes needed. Furthermore, when there is only one universal theater of operations, then failures and flaws that emerge spread through the entire system. If there are multiple projects, however, then the defects can be contained in one community, while the others learn from the experience of what not to do. Conversely, there can be multiple experiments done on a limited scale where one would hesitate to bet the whole ranch on such an attempt. Then any breakthroughs can be copied by the others. Finally, the single best way of raising standards and inspiring progress without coercion or intimidation is by setting up a parallel human community that strives harder and performs at a higher level. Other communities can see the example and imitate it because they see the better quality of life in the experimental model. There is, of course, a danger that entering into a particular covenant will turn a nation inward to become more focused on its own society's performances. Still, the purpose and the benefit here is to enrich the rest of humanity. And this is what Abraham has promised, quote, Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's Genesis 12, 3. And this is exactly what Isaiah meant when he says that, quote, I, God, made you into a covenant people, a light to the nations. See Isaiah 42, 6. The question that remains is, why Abraham? What was the distinctive in Abraham that he was chosen to create the pioneer, redemptive, particular covenant community? What did God see in him that was so special as to conclude 
that Abraham had the intestinal fortitude to carry and transmit a world-transforming covenant alone? Well, of course, the first answer is that Abraham was not alone. The covenantal task was handed to a couple, Abraham and Sarah. As Soloveitchik points out, see his drosha on the covenantal role of Sarah in a book called Man of Faith in the Modern World, edited by Abraham Bestin, pages 8390. Abraham was not alone, and he points out that Abram's name is changed to Abraham, i.e. the father of many nations, see Genesis 17, verses 4-6, because the covenant will be extended to many nations beyond the people Israel. But his partner in covenant, his wife, original name Sarai, is also changed to Sarah for the same reason. She will be the mother of the child Isaac who will carry the covenant forward. She will be no less the mother of nations. See Genesis 17, verse 16. Because the covenant will be a source of inspiration and blessing far beyond her family. So some argue that Abraham and Sarah's qualification is defined in a later chapter in our Parsha. Quote, I have known him, says God. And of course, to know in this context is to love, to choose, to single out. Quote, for he will command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and lawfulness. Staka al-Mishpat in Hebrew, Genesis 18.19. Maybe the pattern of justice and conscience was already visible in the couple's household. This pattern was so strong that later Abraham confronted God, asking for merciful justice for the people of Sodom. Maimonides and Yehuda Levi in the Kuzari suggest that Abraham was chosen because he had broken with idolatry and discovered the single God creator. Over the decades, my favorite explanation was offered by a student in a class. She suggested, God spoke to many people. Only Abraham and Sarah responded by taking up the covenant. Personally, I've always felt that being singled out and chosen for a world-redeeming mission is such an enormous gift that it should be attributed to God's overflowing covenantal love and not to some particular virtue or achievement of the recipient. Moses confirms his thesis in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 10.15 Quote, The Lord desired your ancestors and loved them, so he chose their seed after them. Or Moses again, quote, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. It was not because you are more numerous than other nations, bracket you are not, but because God loved you and because he kept the oath covenant commitment made to your ancestors. See Deuteronomy 7, verses 5, 7, and 8. The truth is that love is not dependent on special qualities or the merits of the beloved. It is at once an overflowing emotion and without reason. Abraham and Sarah being chosen, or the Jewish people being chosen, is the outcome of an infinite love embracing them. Feeling chosen means I experience the love. 
Chosenness says nothing about superiority or special quality in the Chosen One. It simply means that Abraham and Sarah and Jewry, feeling the love, took on the partnership role. They were faithful to it for thousands of years and carried on the mission through endless struggle and in the face of unbelievable suffering. That shows a lot after the fact, but that's another story. During the long trek through history, there were important Jews who claimed that we are exclusive possessors of a monopoly of God's love and revelation, including possessing a Torah of exclusive truth. However, now that we are back in a global culture and understand our place among the nations, we recognize that our being singled out was for the sake of bringing redemption to the whole earth. Then we are proud that our vision of tikkun olam has been internalized and pursued, especially by Christianity and by modern civilization, each in their own way. We are not diminished by others taking up the task. We see the enormity of the unfinished task of tikkun olam, of overcoming poverty, hunger, oppression, war, sickness, as well as spiritual blindness and entrenched immorality. Then we are grateful that Abraham is accepted as father by Islam and others as well. The truth is we will need the help of everybody and of every religion and way of life to lift the planet and transform it into a paradise. We understand that out of love, God has chosen us, yet entered into covenantal community with others. We understand that God is infinite love. That love is not exhausted by the endless love which we enjoy. We understand there is enough love in God to choose again and again. God is the God of multiple choice. Then we bless God for the process of covenantal pluralism that was set in motion with Abraham and Sarah.